I'm really uh, honored to be here today. I do want to encourage you to pray for Joseph uh, as, as the Lord brings him to your mind. Uh, it's, it's always a good idea to be praying for your pastor. Uh, pastor in a church is a, a heavy burden, and so, um, so just I want to encourage you to pray for him as, as uh, the Lord brings him to mind, especially as they're traveling, that they'll have good rest there. I'm uh, honored to fill in today for Joseph, and uh, we're continuing a series of messages that he's been doing for a while called uh, Summer Old School, and we're, t- we're looking at stories from the Old Testament and, uh, and see what we can learn about the nature of God and the nature of mankind and, uh, and how all of that works together through these Old Testament stories. But one of the things that I love when you, when you read the Bible and, and you be- begin to study it and it becomes a regular part of, a, part of your life, one of the things you'll see, and I think we've seen this a lot <clears throat> in this series of messages, is how there's a consistent theme throughout the Bible. And, and how what happens in the Old Testament is not self-contained and by itself, that it's moving us towards something. It's moving us towards some very important things that happen in the New Testament. And sometimes, I'm, I think, maybe uh, it's just me, but especially for those of us raised in the church and you hear a lot of stories and that kind of stuff growing up, there's a tendency sometimes, I think, where we can believe that in the Old Testament, God was one way, and then God's a different way in the New Testament, and somehow he changed, or maybe it's even a different God, or we just can't figure out how these two gods work together, or or how they could be the same person. But one of the things that you see, like I said, as you continue to study God's word, is you see where there is a consistent, that, that God is who he is, all the way from the beginning days of creation in Genesis, all the way through the end of Revelation, and into today. And so, this, uh, this story we're going to read today from the Old Testament, we're going to see towards the end of the message of how it ties in with what God was always doing, what he started doing in the Old Testament and how he continued that work all the way into the New Testament. So we're going to be in the book of Numbers today, Numbers chapter 21. If you've got a, a Bible, uh, it's going to be on the screen, so don't worry. But, but if you've got a Bible with pages, you can find Numbers. If you've got a Bible app, just open that thing up and tap Numbers. 21, I'm going to read five verses, starting with verse 4, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. But before I do that, let me, um, <clears throat> let me give you a little context of where we are in the, in the story here. So the Israelites, the, the children of Israel, uh, the Jewish people, they had been slaves in Egypt and had been there for a long time, and God miraculously had set them free from Egypt. And you probably know some of those stories, and, and Moses, their leader, had gone to Pharaoh and had, had demanded that they be set free. Pharaoh didn't want to do that, so God begins to intervene with miracles and plagues and different things happening. They escape Egypt. Not only do they escape, but before they leave, uh, God says, go to all your neighbors, the Egyptians, and say, you're supposed to give us a lot of your stuff to take with us, and they do that. The Egyptians are like, I don't understand why I'm doing this, but here, here's some gold. Here Here's, here's some things that we have in our household. So, so it says, and Joseph mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that the Egyptians actually, I mean, the, uh, the Israelites actually plundered the Egyptians without ever having to pick up a sword, without ever having to do any kind of battle, just by asking for their things. So they leave, they not only leave, and, and, and they leave in a miraculous way, but they're provided for as they leave. And then they get into the wilderness, and God's taking them somewhere that, that he's been promising them for generations now, and it's called the promised land and they get right up to the edge of where they're supposed to enter the promised land and and there's excitement we're going to go in we're going to take it 
and then they get scared. And they refuse to do what God wanted them to do. Because they look at the people in the promised land, they look at the cities, and they said, we're small, we're not warriors, we don't have the things they have, we don't believe that we can take that, and they refuse to do what God wanted them to do. Now this made God angry. And we read in the, in the story there that, that God was ready to wipe them all out. And Moses intercedes for the people, and he says to God, God, what will people say about you if you, you helped us escape from Egypt and you did all these miracles just to kill us out here in the desert? So God says, okay, here, here's what I'll do then. I'm not going to kill you, but none of these people will enter the promised land. Their children will but this generation won't. So now we're at the point of the story in Numbers 21 where this is years later and you've got these, Egypt, uh, these, uh, these uh, um, children of Israel, they are wandering around in the wilderness because they're not allowed to enter the place where God has promised them until everyone dies out. And by the way, I talked about this in the first service and some of y'all know Hoss Brown. Hoss came up and he said, how would you like to be like the last dude living that you got to die? You know, and everybody's kind of looking at you like, well, let's just go ahead and take him out. And we, <clears throat> we can go in tomorrow, you know. I like Hoss's perspective on that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these uh, five verses of Scripture, Numbers 21, 4 through 9, so that you kind of understand now what's going on. It says this, Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom, Edom but the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Now let's just, I'll go ahead and say it so you don't have to say it. You might be thinking it. This is weird, right? Isn't this weird? This is not a normal thing that happens in today's world. It's not something, you didn't hear any kind of story like that last week happening anywhere in the United States, anywhere in the world really. You didn't hear a story like this. This is strange to us. And since, since we're, it's already, we've already established it's weird, let me even be weirder by telling you that the first big idea of today's message is this, and that is God judges sin. God judges sin. Now, here's why I say that's weird to say today. Because we live in a culture where we don't talk about sin. I would be willing to bet you that this week coming up, unless you're talking to one of your friends who's a follower of Jesus, you're not, or, or unless you're listening to some podcast or you know, watching some documentary about you know, being a Christian, you're not going to hear the word sin. You're not going to hear the word sin on any of the things you watch on your screens. You're not going to hear anyone at work talking about sin. You're not going to have your supervisor, you know, coming to you and saying, hey, I need you to help me. We got a lot of sinful behavior going on with your coworkers. You're not going to hear that anywhere this week. 
We live in a culture, in fact, where, where I, I was reading uh, recently where there was someone talking about that we need to retire the word sin, that it's old-fashioned, that the word sin and the word evil, they don't apply anymore, that, that we need to retire them. And, and I would just say to you, I would, I would propose to you this morning that, that language and the way we talk about things matter a lot. Language creates culture. And we can't look at the things that are going on in the world. We can't look at the things, if we're honest, that are going on in our own hearts and come up with other words for them other than sin. People try to. People will use words like dis dysfunction. I, I even heard someone talk about misalignment. You know, there was a, they were talking about something this guy did, and they said, you know, there was a misalignment in his personality. And I'm like, listen to him. I'm like, that's not a misalignment of personality. That's sin. It's very clear that what he did was sinful. But we don't like to hear that. We don't like to talk about it. But we worship a God and we follow a God who judges sin. And now this is that part of when I talk about growing up as a kid, you feel like God's one way in the Old Testament and God's another way in the New Testament. And, and we think sometimes about the Old Testament God being the judgmental God. But one of the things we know about God who's consistent all the way through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and into today, one of the things that we know about God is that his very nature demands that he judge sin. Because God is a just God. And so if you're a God of justice, then things that are wrong, things that people intentionally do wrong, they must be paid for. That's what justice is. And so God's just nature demands that sin be paid for, that sin be judged. And so we don't like to think about that, especially we don't like to think about that for our own sin. Now, if we're honest, we do like to think about other people's sin being judged. And sometimes we even celebrate that and get excited about it. Every once in a while, or it seems like maybe more than every once in a while, there'll be a news story of someone who's, you know, more important, richer, and more famous than us. And they'll get caught for something, whether it's, you know, whatever type of, of behavior it might be, the way they're running their company or their, their personal uh, relationships, whatever's going on there. And, and they'll get in trouble for that. And, and sometimes they'll have to go to jail. There'll be trials. There'll be indictments. All these things. And sometimes we, sell, we're, we love to hear that. Yeah, I knew, I knew all along that that guy wasn't he, you know, who acted like he would be. Or I knew she was really like that. And so sometimes we celebrate other people's sin being judged, but we don't like our own sin being judged. But we serve and we worship and we follow a God that judges sin. And we see that in this, in this story. So, so let's look at some of the things that, that the reason God brought his judgment to the children of Israel in this story. So the, the first thing that we see there is that they were impatient with God's timing. They were impatient with God's timing. Look at, look at verse 4. It says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom, but the people became impatient because of the journey. Now, they were anticipating entering the promised land, and now they're, they're not there, and they're, they're wandering around. And here's, here's why they became impatient, is because the direction they were going was not the right direction. So it says there that they went by way of the Red Sea to bypass Edom. This was backtracking from the way they were going. It's, it would be like right outside this, if you go through these walls right here, you get to Wade Hampton Boulevard, which all of you drove on today, and all of you probably drive on a lot, like most of us do. Now, if, if you're from around here, you know 
If you go that direction on the way to Hampton Boulevard, where will you end up? You can say it out loud. Greenville. If you go that direction on Wade Hampton Boulevard, where will you end up? Spartanburg. Everybody knows that, that lives around here, right? Now, let's say today after service, I'm like, hey, uh, why don't you ride with me? I'm going to go to Greenville. And you're like, okay, that's cool. So we get in my car and I get here to the, to the uh, Wade Hampton and I turn left. You're thinking, all right, that's not the way to Greenville. But you're thinking Cliff probably is going to go down, get on I-85 or something, you know, who knows what he's doing or whatever. And, uh, and then I just keep going. Next thing, we're in Lyman, and you're like, hey, I thought we were going to Greenville. Like, hey, every time I go to Greenville, I go by way of Spartanburg. Isn't that the way you go? That, that wouldn't make sense, would it? No, because we'd be backtracking. We'd be going the wrong direction. And so we see in this, in this story here, now, the Israelites didn't have GPS. They didn't have phones with GPS on it. They didn't have printed maps, but there were enough people, I don't know if it was all of them, but there were enough of the Israelites that knew the area that knew they were going the wrong direction. They knew they were not going in a straight line to the promised land because it says there that they were growing impatient because of the journey. Or if you look at the old King James Version, which a lot of us were raised reading, it says they grew impatient because of the way. So it wasn't necessarily what was happening on the journey right now that was bothering them. It was that the journey wasn't going the direction it was supposed to go. Now, now keep in mind, why are they not in the promised land yet? Because they chose not to enter it. So they're wandering around because... They've already been disobedient as to what they were supposed to as what they were supposed to do. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, there have been times, and maybe you're in living in a time right now where we can be impatient because we don't like the timing of what's going on in our life. We think that God should have already done something. Maybe you're waiting on something that you feel like you're owed or that has been promised to you. And it's taken longer than you want. You feel like God's already said he's going to take care of this, but why hasn't he done it yet? And so they were impatient with God's timing. And, and the reality is when we question God's timing, it's questioning God's wisdom. So the Israelites were questioning the wisdom of God. Did he even know what he was doing? And they were thinking that they knew better. The second thing that we see that the Israelites were doing here is they were doubting God's compassion. Look at, look at verse 5, doubting God's compassion. It says, the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water. Now, keep, remember, I told you a while ago how they left Egypt, right? They were slaves. They plundered the Egyptians. The ocean parted, and then they were disobedient, so they didn't go into the promised land. And then what God did after that is he began to provide everything they needed without them having to grow anything or plant anything or, or even bake anything. God began to provide manna, which was we, it, we always equate it to some type of bread. It may not have been exactly like that. But here's the point that you need to understand. It came directly from God. It literally, they would walk out of their tents in the morning and it's laying out on the lawn and all they had to do was go pick it up, put it in bowls, and then eat it. That's all they had to do. God literally every day would say, I'm going to make sure that you have enough to eat. You're not going to starve to death out here. My people will not starve to death in the wilderness. Not only that, they, they say to, to God here, we don't have anything to eat. And 
uh, we don't have any water. We're, you know, we're about to die of thirst. Just one chapter before in Numbers 20, you can go back and read that this afternoon, God provides water from them from a rock. Now, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a geologist. I'm no ologist of any kind. But here's what I know. Water doesn't come from rocks. So God provided water, which we have to have to survive more than we have to have food. You'll, you will die of, uh, of not having water before you'll die of not having food. He provided that where there was no stream, there was no lake, there was not even a stagnant puddle. And now they're saying, we don't have anything to eat, we don't have any water. And so they are doubting the compassion of God. They are doubting the compassion of God. And when you doubt the compassion of God, it's ultimately doubting the character of God. Because you're saying, God, you don't, your character isn't even good enough that you would want to take care of your people. Now, I think it's interesting, also look in that verse, it says there that, that uh, why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now, remember why they're in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness because they got to the edge of the promised land and they were afraid to die in warfare. So they've already told God, we don't believe you'll take care of us in warfare. You've told us to go into this land. You've told us it's ours to take. We don't believe you will, God. We believe that if we go and we declare war on these cities, we'll die. So we don't believe you'll take care of us in warfare. We'd rather stay out here. And now they're out there and they're saying, why did you put us out here? You're not going to take care of us out here either. So they are doubting God's character all the way around. God's not a God that will take care of them in warfare. He's not a God that will take care of them in peacetime. He just is not going to take care of them. And they're doubting who he is. And then the last thing that we see that they did, I think this is, you'll see kind of how these build. I think this kind of tops it off. They hated God's provision. They hated God's provision. Look there at the end of verse 5. So verse 5 says this. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. We've already determined there was bread to eat. There's no water. We've already determined there was water. And then it says, and we detest this wretched food. That's bold. Because God's giving them everything they need. I kind of think about this as like going on a trip as a kid. Now, I'm just, I'm going to give me an old man moment here for a minute. I'm not that old. I do get AARP magazines, though. I started a few years ago. But, get, but allow me an old man moment, and a lot of you will understand this. I'm just telling you, kids today have it made when you go on long trips, right? I mean, it's not even like they left their room. They can, they can watch all the stuff they watch. They can play all their games. The only thing they can't do is get up and move around. And we know kids today don't do that anyway. They, don't, they, they should be moving around. They're sitting in their room. That's the old man, really old man moment there. But when we were growing up, we would get in the car, and you were just stuck in there. And I remember we went to Washington, D.C. one time as a kid, and I didn't think we were ever going to get there. And uh, if you had some books to read, you know, and uh, you get bored after a while of that or coloring. And, and before w the Walkman was invented, you had to just listen to what your parents were listening to on the radio. And who wants to listen to that, right? So, so I mean, it was tough. And, and we would complain, right? As kids sitting in the back seat, we'd start complaining. And this feels like this story with the Israelites talking to God, it feels like an ungrateful kid in the back seat complaining. You know, we start 
starts with, hey, you know, we're going the wrong way. Why is this taking so long? And it's, it's you know, and it's like us saying, when are we going to get there? You know, and being just whiny and annoying to the, to the parents. And then the next part, when they says, we don't have any food and water. I remember saying this in the back seat. I'm starving. Like, you know, like I'm literally going to starve to death on the way to Washington, D.C. And, you know, your mom's trying to get brownies out or whatever she had made for the trip. But then the, this last one, I think, is the worst. It's almost like they begin to say, it's like a kid in the back seat saying, I hate this car. I hate going on this trip. I hate this family. Now, if you were a dad, dads, let's just be honest, you know what you're going to want to do there, right? And, and back in the 70s and 80s, that would happen, man. A, a, parent, a parent could reach across the back seat and hit a kid and never even swerve. I mean, it was... <laughs> It was amazing. Now, my dad wasn't a hitter like that, but I remember being in the car with a buddy of mine, and his mama was a little short thing. I didn't even think she had long enough arms. And he's back there running his mouth. Next thing you know, he got a, a, a hand against the side of the face, and she just kept going, and I was, you know, moving over. <laughs> but that's, that's what this feels like. This, to, to look at the things God has provided. God's literally giving them food to eat. It's just laid out for them. And that's keeping them alive. And to look at that and say, we detest this wretched food. We hate, God, we hate what you're giving us. It's keeping us alive, but we hate it. They, did, they didn't say, you know, God, could it be a little spicier? I like my manna with a little bit of cayenne pepper in it. No, they're saying they hate it. They hate the very provision that was keeping them Alive, They were treating the gift of God with just complete disdain. So I don't think it's a coincidence that after verse 5, we get to verse 6, which says this. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. Now, the message is really clear here, and we don't need to miss it. This was not an accident. The Israelites didn't wander into a bed of snakes. Keep in mind that this was over a million people, the Israelites at this time. And it says many Israelites died, so I don't think it's like we just had one rogue snake that bit a couple of folks. This was from the hand of God. We talked earlier that God judges sin, that God's very nature demands that sin be paid for. This is, this is my buddy getting hit from the front seat by his mama right? This, this was God saying, enough of this. You, 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 hate, you hate my provision. You, you doubt my compassion. You, you doubt my wisdom. This has to be paid for. And he sent judgment in the form of snakes. And that's the nature of the God that we serve, is that sin must be paid for. And it's the big ones and the small ones, by the way. What I, one thing I, I think is important that we see in this story here is the Israelites, they hadn't murdered anybody in the last couple of weeks when this happened. They hadn't set a bunch of people's stuff on fire. Like, you know, we, we, we act like all the stuff we read about in the news, that's the bad sins, but the stuff we do is not that bad. These were sins of attitude and, and sins of, of the heart. And those were sins were bad enough to unleash, unleash the judgment of God. And those were sins that we commit regularly. Sometimes we doubt God's compassion. Sometimes we question God's wisdom. 
Sometimes we even can hate God's provision, things that he's given us. So let's get to the second big idea. And it's not going to seem like it can work with the first big idea. So the first big idea is God judges sin. The second big idea is that God is merciful to sinners. God is merciful to sinners. God judges sin. His nature requires it. But God also is a loving God that is merciful to the people that need to be judged, merciful to sinners. Look at verse 7. So after the snakes are out there, people are getting bit, people are dying, it's chaos in the camp. And then verse 7. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Now, I think that very first part of that verse that phrase is, is really important. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. They didn't come to Moses and say, hey, um, look, just let God know we didn't really mean it. I mean, let God know, you know, hey, the way I was raised, you could complain about your food and not get in trouble. I don't understand what the deal is. They didn't try to justify their sin. They didn't try to whitewash their sin. They they didn't try to act like it was someone else's fault. They came with a spirit of confession to say to God, we're wrong. We've done this. We're guilty of it. No one else. We're we're not blaming anyone else. It's just us. And, And please help us. Please take this judgment away. Ask God, Moses, ask him if there's anything that can be done to stop this. And what God chose to do next was unlocked because of that confession. See, I believe, and I think the scripture teaches that the path from justice to mercy begins with confession. The path from the justice of God into the mercy of God begins with us recognizing that God is a loving God and we confess our sins to him and ask him to save us. The path from justice to mercy begins with confession. And so in verses 8 and 9, we see there what what God did. Now, it's interesting here. He doesn't take the snakes away. They ask him in verse 7. They say, hey, Moses, ask him to take the snakes away. But look at what verse 8 and 9. Now, this is really, this is where the story to me really gets weird. But we're going to see in a minute why God chose this form of of, uh, saving for the Israelites. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Now, again, people are still getting bit by snakes, which is painful. So so this is a little sidebar here that, that we don't need to miss when we talk about God judging sin and the way sin works in our lives. That God's mercy will triumph over our sin. But when we've sinned, we almost always, 99.9% of the time, we still have to pay the consequence of those sins. 
The ultimate judgment God will take care of by his mercy. The ultimate judgment in the desert of death, people getting bit by snakes and dying, that ultimate judgment was taken care of if they would look at the bronze snake on a pole that Moses has made. But the pain of getting bitten by a snake, the fear of a snake coming out from under something and biting you, that remained for a little while because of their sin. That was the consequence of their sin. It would be like if you, uh, if you read in the news tomorrow, let's say, I lose my mind this week, right? And, uh, and you hear on the news, WYFF, hey, this is crazy story here, but Cliff Marshall, former pastor of a church in Greer, he works for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, he went on a crime spree in Greer. And he went and robbed all everybody's favorite places in Greer. He robbed the clock, you know. He went to Josie's, you know, chuck wagon and robbed them. And he went to Target and robbed them. And, and, it just, and I go on this crime spree up and down Wade Hatton Boulevard just robbing stores and all this kind of stuff. And then the next week, you know, I come in here and, and I'm, a, I'm a member of this church and Joseph hands me the microphone. I stand up here and I'm crying and, you know, and I said, I'm confess this to the Lord. The Lord's forgiven me. A lot of y'all would forgive me because you'd be like, I don't know what happened to Cliff, but he's a pretty good guy and he confessed his sins and we're going to forgive him, but, but, you know, just keep your wallets to yourself, you know, when he's around kind of thing. And so, so you would probably forgive me, but you know, who's not going to come along and say, Hey, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. The city of Greer, the police department, I'm going to have to go to jail for that. There's going to have to be, that would be the consequence of that sin. And we can commit, we commit sins and we can receive the full mercy of God for that. Just like the Israelites received the mercy of God here. But there's still the consequences of what we've done that we have to live with based on that. Now, one of the things I've loved, I, I said at the beginning, I've loved in this series, I love to see how the Old Testament and what happened way back then, it's not some separate story, not some different God, but it's a part of who God is, and this, there's this thread that runs all the way through the Bible, and we see how it all works together. And we've got these two big ideas. First, that God judges sin. Second, that God is merciful to sinners. And those two things don't even seem like they could coexist. They seem very distance, distant from each other. And each week in this series, we've seen where the nature of God demands justice but also the nature of God shows mercy to people who, who deserve justice. And it's all leading somewhere. These stories in the Old Testament are all leading to somewhere. It's all leading to something that happens in the New Testament. It's all leading to the place where sin would be paid for once and for all. So once the, 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 the justice of God would be fulfilled because the sin would be paid for and that then sinners could be forgiven, they could receive God's mercy. Now I'm going to ask you a, a, a question and I want you to answer this out loud. And if you're wrong, it's okay. Um, we'll just laugh at you later. No, we won't. But, uh, but you're going to know it, most of you are. What's the most famous Bible verse in the world? What is it? John 3.16. Everybody, even if they don't know what John 3.16 says, they've mostly heard it. Well, John 3, I don't know anything about the Bible, but there's something called John, and there's a 3 and a colon and a 16. I don't understand what that's all about. And when I was growing up, there was a dude with a rainbow wig, and he would go to every sporting event and hold up John 3.16 signs everywhere. You know, all, all and, and I think he helped that become so famous. And, and I'm going to read John 3.16 to you from the translation that I'm preaching from today. And it says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, 
but have eternal life. You probably heard it this way growing up from the King James Version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now that verse comes from a story where Jesus was talking to a Jewish guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus had a lot of questions about Jesus. Because Jesus was teaching, Jesus was a Jewish teacher, but he was teaching different things that Nicodemus had never heard before. And so he comes to, comes to Jesus to talk to him, and he's asking him these questions. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, that doesn't make any sense. How can someone go back into their mother's womb? You can't, you're only born once. And Jesus is explaining this to him. And then Jesus begins to tell this part of the story because he knew Nicodemus would know what happened in the Old Testament. And so John 3, 14 and 15, before you get to John 3, 16, see if this sounds familiar to you. See if you've heard of anything like this happening before. It says this, Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. The reason way back a long time ago that when people were being judged for their sin by snakes biting them in the desert, the reason God told Moses do this is going to sound weird, Moses, but I want you to make a bronze snake. I want you to put it on a pole. I want you to lift it up. I want people to have to turn and look at that snake on the bronze pole to be able to survive. The reason that he chose that mode of saving them is because it was pointing the way to one day where there would be a perfect man who paid the ultimate penalty for sin, that all of our sin, he was the one that took on the full justice of God that had to be paid for he took it on himself. He was put on a cross. He was lifted up. And if we look to him on that cross, then we can have mercy for our sins. That's why God did it that way back then. It was pointing us to Jesus when he would be lifted up on a cross. The justice of God requires payment, and Jesus has paid that. And his payment has released mercy for all of us who are sinners if we will look to him and trust in him and not trust in ourselves. One of the most amazing things about this too is to understand the, the justice, the, the just nature of who God is. That all we have to do is accept Jesus and accept the mercy that comes to God. We don't have to pay for our own sin. In fact, if God demanded that we paid for our own sin now, it would prove that he is not a just God. Because sin only has to be paid for once. Justice demands that it's paid for once. So God would never make Jesus pay for the sin and then demand someone else to pay for the sin because that would make God an unjust God. But a just God says sin is paid for one time and it's been covered by the perfect man, Jesus, and now mercy is available to all of us. Mercy is available to the Israelites. Mercy is available to everyone who lives today. Recently, I want to close with a, a quote from a guy. Recently, there was a, um, um, a pastor who passed away named Tim Keller. Uh, if you don't know who Tim Keller is, uh, you, you ought to look him up. I know, mo I know all of y'all listen to Joseph's sermons later in the week. You know, after you hear it on Sunday, you listen again 
don't you? Yeah, sure. And so, uh, but uh, after you finish listening to Joseph's sermon one week, you ought to also listen to Tim Keller if you get the opportunity. Tim Keller was like the Christian Gandalf or Yoda or something. Like everything that came out of his mouth just seemed so wise. And, uh, and uh, I want to I close with this quote because he, he would say this all the time. When we think about how does the justice of God and the mercy of God work together? How can a just God so show mercy to unjust people that are, that are sinners? And uh, he would say this, the miracle of the gospel is that we are more sinful than we dared believe, yet at the same time we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Where there's sin, there's judgment. Where there's judgment, there's mercy. And that's all because of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for providing a way for a sinner like me to be forgiven of the sins that I knowingly and willingly commit. Thank you that I don't have to pay the price of those sins, that, that a man who had never sinned, he paid that price for me. I pray that all of us would remember that this week, Father. All of us would live in that knowledge and live in that joy. Father, if there are those here today that, that have, never, have never looked to the cross, have never, never looked to the man who was lifted up on the cross and, and, and looked to him for payment for those sins and to be forgiven of the sins that they've committed, I pray that they would do that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.